Hey, welcome to episode one of the Made for More web show. Hey, welcome to episode one of the Made welcome, for More web welcome. show. I think I started a little early. I'm a rookie. <laughs> I'm sure glad you're here. We're coming from Kansas City. Uh, I'm in my, my garage. A lot of good things happen in garages. Apple started in a garage. Google started in a garage. And it's my office and kind of my hang spot. And uh, I'm with Brian Phipps. Hello, sir. Rob, how are you? And hello, friends. Good to be with you today. He's at the inner sanctum of the Disciples Made office. And again, <laughs> here from Kansas City, the both current and future reigning world champions of football. Oh, Kansas City Chiefs. We got Canada. <laughs> we got Kenya. Oh, my gosh. Look at these people coming in. This is exciting. We love it. We're thrilled that you're here. Uh, if you want to drop in the chat where you're from, uh, it'd be fun to see uh, where you're standing right now in terms of geography. And we're thrilled that you're here. Again, this is episode one. It's a new show. Uh, we'll be beginning uh, to broadcast every other week. Uh, and we hope this becomes a growing community. We want this to add value to your life. Uh, we hope it's something that you put in your queue uh, land on your calendar, and we'd love for you to actually shape this show and this conversation. Uh, so we'll be inviting you to ask your questions, not only today, but also to help us shape future episodes. And of course, we're going to be walking through the Made for More framework about mobilizing God's people, God's way. And mobilization is about the commission we have to help all of God's people that we're influencing, that we're leading, to get out of their seat, to get fully engaged in Jesus' story and in Jesus' mission, to find their unique calling, their unique contribution, to get to their maximum level of influence. And we know it's been a difficult season for all of us when it comes to mobilization. Uh, and we're, gonna, we're not going to skirt the difficult questions or the challenges that were up ahead. And we think the next season, these next four months, is going to help you discover a biblical framework for mobilization and some very practical ideas and resources that you can move on now, regardless of the COVID situation. So uh, just a little bit about our background. Um, I've been uh, here in Kansas City for about six years. Um, the last two years, I've been one of the folks that's helped launch what's called the Kansas City Underground. Uh, we think of ourselves as a mission agency in Kansas City. We help equip ordinary people to live as loving, effective missionary disciple makers. They're planting themselves where they live, work, learn, and play among an unreached pocket of people. And as they grow in credibility and, and grow in relationship and conversations begin to happen, it goes from small talk to spiritual talk to con gospel conversations. They're making new disciples in new contexts. And when you make new disciples in a new context, uh, a new church emerges. And we call that a microchurch. So we don't plant microchurches. We plant missionaries who plant the gospel, make new disciples, a microchurch emerges. And then we put those into networks that we call collectives. Uh, collectives uh, is a network of four to six microchurches that are working together either by geography or affinity. And God's given us a dream for gospel saturation in our city. We want every man, woman, boy, and girl to be able to see, hear, and experience the gospel. And we want to fill our city with the beauty and the justice and the good news of Jesus. We think that's going to take 42,000 missionaries and about 21,000 microchurches. 
And that's where we want to follow Jesus to. And so that's Kansas City Underground. Previous to that, uh, for 20 plus years, I've led in large churches inside the prevailing model and God's uh, spirit working in through that is what brought me to where I am today. So even though we're doing something very innovative and different, I have a deep appreciation and respect for what God is doing through every form of the church. Uh, so that's a bit of my story. Brian, how about you? Well, part of my story right now is highly influenced by the fact that we have Linton Stacy on from Australia and it's 530 in the morning there. Well done. Anybody that's done that is high commitment. So welcome. Glad to have you here. Friends, I, uh, I have a, a more diversified background than Rob. I, um, my first uh, pastor was an associate pastor in a church of about 400. And then I went to a church of about 75. And that was a transition uh, tr- church from a traditional church to purpose-driven. So back in the day, 20-something years ago, uh, to do that process. Then I planted a church. And then about 11 years ago, I was invited here to Kansas City to be a part of Westside Family Church, where I was the discipleship pastor. And uh, it was there that uh, just started to develop a culture of disciple making by creating a spiritual pathway uh, that we really had more than just as a map uh, for the church. It really was a pathway that people could follow. And I recognized that we were really good at helping people move from seeker to believer, but we were really good at helping them move out of the church after they became a believer for a long period of time because we didn't have a way to help them become uh, fully alive uh, in Christ. Probably one of the most influential verses on my life is John 10, 10, where we see that uh, the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. And I've seen his work in my life, and I've seen his work in thousands of other people's lives. But Jesus says, but I came that they might have life and have it to the full. And what I discovered in those 10 years of multiplying disciples uh, at Westside is that Jesus truly was the master at being human, the art of being human. Right. And, uh, and, and he's invited us to live back to the mint condition that we were created uh, to be in. And I really discovered that disciple making really is helping people rediscover and rebuild what the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy through the presence of Jesus in their lives, uh, through the Holy Spirit. And that was such a significant thing at that church that I now work for a small not-for-profit that I started called Disciples Made. And we um, we help people. We multiply disciples that make the world a better place. And we help churches create systems where that's the norm and not the exception. And and our passion and, our, and my strong, strong, strong desire is just to walk alongside of people who have a burden to become more and more fully alive themselves and then invite other people into that, you know, that discovery and that process as well. So it's an honor. It's a real honor to be a part of this with you. I've been a huge fan of Exponential for years and years and years, been going to the conferences for 10 to 15 years, and it's a delight to be a part of this with you today. Yeah. And again, just a warm welcome. Uh, we really have people from all over the world. Hey, hi to Chris in NYC. Hey, there's my buddy, J-Mo. J-Mo. Watching. Hey, buddy, glad you're here. Uh, Bruce <laughs> Webster, I see you're rooting for uh, your team from Indy. I'm a former Hoosier. Uh, we've got Richard from Kentucky. Uh, don't marry your cousin. Just kidding. Just kidding. Ouch, Rob. I'm from West Virginia. What does that say about us? Come on now. That's true. Hey, Randy. <laughs> from Virginia. We got Gary from Georgia. Again, he's right, man. All eyes watching that election today. Uh, hi mm. to Jim in Ohio. And oh, here's Shane. Shane Bennett, what's up? 
an old friend. Uh, I'm glad you're here today. Well, again, friends, um, we really hope this can become a community on mission over the next four months. And uh, we're honored by your participation. And uh, today we want to talk, uh, really, what's the promise that we're hoping to deliver on in this first season? And uh, also to provide an overview of the six shifts, which will make up the core content of the show. And we've got some incredible thought leaders and practitioners in the lineup. Uh, Jeff Vanderstelt is going to be on the next episode, uh, leading the Soma, uh, family of churches. They're in 40-something cities, um, probably thousands of missional communities at this point in time, making disciples in a multiplicative and transformative way. We've got Brian Sanders. Uh, he's, he's launched the underground movement. Um, we've got a great lineup, and uh, we'll tell you a little bit more about that later. But again, the goal of the show is to come alongside you in what is probably the most momentous, um, challenging, difficult uh, period in our generation. And there are so many things that are uncertain. And uh, there's very little that we know for sure. Uh, it's this constantly changing landscape. Brian and I were talking right before this episode. Um, we have a podcast that uh, came out today, which we recorded in December. And it, it was funny. I was very hopeful. I was telling Brian in this podcast, there's, you know, there's six vaccinations. They're going to be rolling out every two weeks. And they're thinking maybe by March, this will be a bit. And, and then you all know how the reports have been the last couple of weeks. Like the third vaccination is not the clinical trials haven't gone well. So they're backing that up. They're saying months. Uh, the distribution of the vaccine has been very difficult. Uh, so I've had to sort of temper back my expectations. And of course, that's disappointing. And there's been this conversation to Andy um, Crouch launched back in March. He wrote a very influential article. It's worth looking up if you haven't read it. And he basically poised this question, uh, is COVID going to be just a winter storm? Is it going to be a winter season? Or are we actually entering into an ice age? Um, so we're going to start by just throwing that question back and forth between each other. Uh, by the way, feel free to drop your opinion in the chat. It'd be interesting to kind of take an informal poll here on where you're at. But let me ask you, Brian Phipps, what's your opinion on that? Is this a storm? It's going to pass quickly. Is it a winter season or is this an ice age that's going to change things permanently? Yeah, I think, you know, and we did have the advantage to have a lot of guests answer that question. So we're really going to sound smarter than we are, or I am anyway, <laughs> uh, just simply because of hearing, you know, Sanders and Doug Paul and Dave Ferguson and different people that were on that podcast to answer that question. But I really think that it's uh, a winter season. Um, it's set definitely longer than a, a snowstorm. Because uh, that kind of goes and I mean, we got snow three days ago here in Kansas City and it's almost all melted now. So we're not going to feel a lasting impact from that. But it's a winter season where things have gone. Some things have gone dormant. Some things have died. Um, and uh, it, and I think more than anything for me, it's got a um, it's got an invitation spirit to it. Um, kind of the, the 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 verses that have been running in my head are. Um, what Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, those who put these practices of mine into place are like people that build their house upon the rock instead of the sand. 
Uh, and then the verse next to it in my head has been the, uh, and the gates of hell will not prevail against this thing called the ecclesia, the church, my people. And uh, so those two things have made me go, this, this has been a storm to come and test our practices as a church, you know, as a whole, which ones have been impervious to that, which ones have been washed out to sea, like what, what, what things have been taken out and uh, how can we evaluate uh, between the things that have stood and the things that have not. And, and what can we do now? Uh, because I'm going to assume that there's another storm coming. You know, I don't think this is the last winter season or the last storm. Uh, and they might even be more challenging than COVID. What do we need to learn from this winter storm to be prepared for the next winter? Uh, I haven't even thought about this, of saying this out loud. I've actually never communicated it before, but always, it's been haunting to me to think about what winter must have been like for the pilgrims when they first moved uh, to the United States, or, you know, before it was the United States, when they landed over here on this continent, it was like, oh, no, winter's coming. We've got to build a house. We've got to. And so I don't, I'm afraid of what a real winter would look like if we were truly unprepared. So I think it's an invitation. How about for yourself? Yeah, it's definitely, in my opinion, a winter storm, but I think it's going to, or winter season rather. Mm -hmm. uh, but I do think it's going to have some lasting effects. Yeah. Um, and time will tell how uh, deep and lasting those effects are. But, you know, I grew up on the south side of Chicago in what was called the snow belt. We get that lake effect snow and it dumps seven mm -hmm. or eight feet of snow on you in the winter. And, and so, it's funny here in Kansas city, we get three inches of snow and they shut down school. And I'm like, what? <laughs> it's true. It's, it's sad. True, you know? And, um, but what you learn when you live in an area like that is, you know, if you get the right gear, uh, you can actually enjoy that season. And winter actually became my favorite season. Mm -hmm. And there's certain activities that you can only do in winter. And when you go outside, it gives the illusion that everything's dead, but it's really not. Uh, things may have gone underground or they may have gone silent or they may have gone to sleep. Uh, but there's a whole new opportunity for discovery and activities. And I, and I like what you said, there's an invitation in COVID. Yeah. Uh, there are some things that have been revealed to be fragile. Um, you know, I think of Alan Hirsch's analogy about the queen on the chessboard. And I heard him say years and years ago, and now it's been, revealed in such a powerful and present way but he said if you're learning to play chess from someone who's a master they'll actually remove your queen off the board and once you've learned to master the game without that powerful piece then you can put the queen back in and you're going to be very very good because you've learned how to use all the pieces that are on the board and the sunday service in a building the very programmatic approach to the organized church is the queen. And, and I think COVID's revealed that we've been relying on it too much. Yeah. So this whole thing of trying to depend on a weekend service to be the catalytic engine for mobilization has been shown to be fragile and not as effective as we thought. You know, I've had conversations with literally thousands of church leaders in this last year. And I hear over and over again, things like, boy, our small groups weren't what we thought they were or the, the community or the connection we had wasn't quite what we thought it was or our discipleship pathway. It, it, it just seemed to implode because of what happened with COVID. And that's painful. That's difficult, but it's also an opportunity 
to rebuild. And some of the data that's coming in from Barna, uh, where they've said, you know, 30% of those that were engaged with church have had no engagement. Uh, that's, that's sobering. Uh, another 30%, they're saying they may actually just prefer what they've been experiencing, uh, which as a church leader, that can be discouraging. It's like, I'm glad they're watching online, but I don't want that to be their limit of their engagement. And so we're looking at, uh, I think those are trends that are going to probably last. Uh, there's going to be some return, but it's probably not going to be at the level we want. So what we're going to try to focus on in this show is how do we actually take advantage of this invitation? How do we do a really deep rethink about what it means to mobilize the church and also to be encouraged? Um, There's good news. Number one, our God is unchanging. Am I right? Am I right, Brian? Oh, my gosh, you're right. For whatever reason, I'm waiting for everybody to say, yes, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like I like your chess analogy. You talk about taking the queen off the board. Well, you can't take our king off the board. It's his board. He owns the board. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Heaven's not panicked. God has seen far worse than COVID. And uh, we will, he will lead us through this together as we listen to his voice and obey. And it's our hope that the things that we're going to be talking about are the things that really are impervious uh, to this thing called COVID. So I'm excited to get going with that. What else is unchanging, Rob? Our mission is unchanging. We're here to make disciples and make disciples. And this crisis environment is actually a richer environment for disciple making because people are living with this real awareness of their fragility, of their vulnerability, their, a deeper longing for authentic community because of the isolation and the quarantining. And, and, and as painful as the loss has been, and it, it's been horrific, it also removes the illusion that we're in control. <laughs> and most of the time we've been able to kind of distract ourselves or keep ourselves busy. And I think there's been this incredible liminal environment that's created a surge in longing for community, meaning, purpose. And in our identities, the church is unchanging, hmm. Right. Yeah, because the church, uh, the identity is not primarily a building. It's a body. Uh, the, the identity is not a place or a program. It literally is a people. You can't take the body away. You can't take the people away. You can take the building or the program out. We've seen that. But you can't take those other things out. It's not an event, but it's everyday people living out the mission of Jesus in every area of life and everywhere they go. We've got buildings, we we have programs, but these are not our our the definition of who we are. They don't define us. They are not our identity. In the New Testament, the course of the church in Jerusalem uh, met in the temple courts and in homes. And when the public uh, stuff was shut down, they just thrived uh, at that micro expression. And, uh, and we're seeing that happen today, Rob. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, we talk about the promise that we want to be able to deliver in this. Um, you shared the stats of, it. you know, potentially our, our viewership will come back at 30%. Are you at 30% within the underground and with the micro expressions of what you're doing? Or has God done something different um, through the structure of that, what you're doing? Well, by God's grace, uh, we've, right on through COVID, we've seen 
new baptisms, new disciples, new microchurches, new discovery Bible studies. Uh, we're very grateful. Uh, it, it feels that in the midst of this storm, we've had a sense of God's favor. And I would have to say it's accelerated what we're doing. You know, we have these hubs that equip and support the missionaries and the microchurches. Uh, we've had, you know, we're just about 20 months old. So we're still a baby. We're an infant, you know. Um, but during this COVID year, the Lord has risen up uh, three new teams of leaders. So we have uh, three hubs in the queue for next year. Um, and those hub, our first hub has been able to provide us um, in the 20 months, we've seen a 600% increase in microchurches right hmm. through COVID. Uh, so the church Jesus is building is pandemic proof. The early church faced pandemics and the same thing happened. It actually accelerated their influence. It actually accelerated disciple making. And, and what Jesus is doing, uh, his methods, if we embrace them, it's impervious to these kind of challenges. And I, and yeah. I don't say that with any kind of arrogance. Um, I, I, I'm only standing on the shoulders of the men and women who've gone before me. They've been my mentors and my leaders. And there's been a lot of failure and a lot of pain, even in the midst of this year. So I, I don't want to, you know, uh, pretend like it's all been roses. It's not been. Um, but I, I, I think Jeff, uh, what he said, Jeff Hook in the chat made a great point. Like the trends that were already happening before COVID, basically COVID just accelerated them. Yep. Um, and I agree with him. And I also think Lytton has, is asking a very, very powerful question about this. Is it a storm or is it one of the plagues? Do we have to get out of our Egypt where we are enslaved to reach our freedom? Now, I think Linton's probably prophetic. <laughs> Don't be surprised. And I and I I love this question because change begins with repentance. And repentance is moving from unbelief to belief in Jesus. It, like you said, that Jesus is the master at the art of living, that he is always right, always reliable. And for us as church leaders, I do think that's where it begins. It's us turning to the embrace of Jesus and saying, Lord, I'm ready to unlearn. I'm ready for you to deconstruct some things for me so that you can rebuild and relearn. And uh, that's our hope these next four months that we can kind of maybe tear down some things, unlearn some things, and then build up something that will be more pandemic proof. Without a doubt. Rob, I wish we could offer like six weeks or six steps. Follow these six steps and you'll guarantee to move your 30% return up to 50 or 75 or 80. Um, but in reality, the reason I asked you the question about the underground is because it's not a two-year process. This has been a 10-year process of making disciples that have proven to be uh, more than what we uh, expected them to be really. Um, that's the beauty of this whole thing is that we, the, the, the shifts that we're about to talk about are shifts that we, by God's grace, have been led to make 10 years ago that have found themselves to be much less vulnerable to these kind of threats uh, these days. So what we're hoping is you're not going to get six weeks and six steps and boom, you, you change your stuff. But as you change the framework, as these shifts become part of what you own, 
as far as how you approach the building of God's kingdom under your responsibility area. As you do that and you make those shifts, over time, things change. Cultures change. The way you view people in your church changes. What you see when you look out uh, from the platform to teach on Sunday morning changes. Uh, the end zone, the, the measurements that you have for success, they change over time. And those culture shifts do render a very different uh, looking and behaving church that I believe will be absolutely impervious. I think, I think the only thing that's being threatened is the, is the enemy during wow. that time. When we unleash God's people the way that he wants. The mobilization word that we talk about is really, unle- I, I would change the word from mobilization to unleashing. I think there's an inertia that's been placed on God's people for far too long. And all we need to do is remove the inertia, let inertia, let these people begin to thrive, to come alive through the through the presence of Jesus in their life, through the Holy Spirit. And <laughs> and then the enemy better watch out, COVID other or otherwise. You know, that's what we have the potential of doing is seeing the fullness of God's people unleashed to bring the peace, the love, the beauty, the order, and the shalom of Jesus to the planet. So Man. where are we going? Well, there's this uh, a simple analogy that we'll use uh, in every single episode. And uh, we're hoping it's easy for you to get your hands around. Again, what Brian is saying is we, we if we're going to reach every man, woman, boy, and girl in our city, that means we need to mobilize and unleash and equip every man, woman, boy, and girl that we're influencing who are the people of God. And, uh, and, and, and the people that we're serving many of them have a splinter in their mind. Hmm. Uh, I had a conversation with my dad when he was in his seventies that broke my heart. My dad met Jesus after a very tragic accident that left him in a coma. And then he had to learn to walk again. And he had buddies. He was playing softball with who knew Jesus and they were his stretcher bearers. They carried him to Jesus. And man, he walked the aisle while they were singing just as I am. and gave his life to Christ, man. And, uh, and he, in his seventies, one time we were having a talk and he was seen down that day. And he basically said to me, Rob, I, I did everything I thought I was supposed to do or that they asked me to do. And he started listening to things like I was an usher. I was a greeter. I was a deacon. I was an elder. I taught Sunday school. And he's like, I still feel like I missed it. And I wonder how many of God's people are in their current structures and they feel that it's like, I'm doing everything they've asked me to do, but I feel like I have I've missed it. Hmm. And this is where this little analogy comes in. Um, y'all know Home Depot. That's where I get my stuff for my projects. And they had a breakthrough marketing campaign where they said, listen, you can build it and we can help. And in so doing, they position themselves as the resource and training center for millions of Americans. It was really clear. We are here to help you accomplish your unique project where you live, work, learn, and play. And that's the essence of this new but really ancient approach to mobilization, mobilizing God's people, God's way. And we're going to live in the book of Ephesians. I'm inviting you in this four-month journey. Would you read the book of Ephesians with us? And just slip down into it, marinate in it. Because we're going to look at each one of the chapters of Ephesians, Ephesians and highlight a key shift. But underneath it is this 
this this analogy of we right, right now for most churches the mobilization is built around we can build it you can help it's program focused so most ministry happens in the programs of the organized church or some partner organization uh, it's volunteer centric so the primary primary identity you're asked to embrace is that of a volunteer and there's mostly predetermined slots that need to be filled uh, and it's a recruiting approach to mobilization like I have to come and recruit you to get you in a slot to be a part of this program. And God's spirit is working in and through that approach. We're not saying that's incorrect, but we are saying it's it's incomplete. The shift that we're going to do is a Home Depot shift, which is how do we build a mobilization pathway that's about you can build it, we can help. It's an It's all of life focused. Where most of the ministry we recognize has to happen where people live, work, learn, and play. It's calling-centric rather than volunteer-centric. That ministry includes your entire life, and everybody has a unique calling. And our goal as the equippers of God's people is to help them discover that calling, be deployed in that calling. And it's not a recruiting approach. It's a sending approach to mobilization. And, and the role of the local church then is to basically be the Home Depot that empowers those disciples, equips them, helps them discover their calling, helps them get deployed. And Paul's letter uh, in the book of Ephesians is going to be our roadmap. Uh, and in fact, there's a resource kit, Brooks, if you'll put that in the chat, there's a made for more resource kit. Uh, it's filled with 26 videos. It's designed for you to go through with the leadership team. Uh, it's all free of charge. Uh, we've had, it's been utilized by thousands of churches. And we've got a lot of good feedback. Uh, and it will walk you through the book of Ephesians in every chapter. There's a, a key theme, a critical move, an essential shift. And Brian and I want to hit these uh, six shifts briefly here in the second half of the show. Brian, anything you want to add? Uh, just that, you know, earlier I was talking about change how you uh, look out from the platform and see people. If I was to summarize the we can build it, you can help uh, and you can build it, we can help approach uh if you're a pastor is looking out and you have a, we can build it, you can help approach. You're looking out and seeing all these people that could help you use your programs to make a difference in the world. Uh, but if you're a pastor that looks out with the, you can build it, we can help approach. You see, uh, if there's a hundred people out there, you see a hundred different ways. Jesus wants to fill the city with people that can create programs or initiatives or ideas or support those uh, things. And just just imagine the difference between the two. The first one's like a little spigot, you know, that can just put little drops, you know, depending on the size of the church, the spigot is bigger and bigger and bigger. But, but what if you just completely got out of the way and let the flow from heaven work right into his people? I, that's just a different perspective to me. I don't want to look out and just see people that can help me accomplish the programs that I can dream up. That dream capacity is as only as large as my brain is. But if we empower people to become um, dependent upon and inspired by the spirit directly about what he wants to do through them, and we see people that can join us in this global approach to reaching all the issues in the world, not just in the church and in the communities, but what about the, the law sector, the military sector, the judicial sector, the education sector, oh. these people that are already deeply embedded in those having, having promptings from the spirit of how they are to accomplish the redemption of the world through that, then 
you've changed the game. So that'd be my only thing. It's just, what do we see when we look out on Sunday morning? Do we see world changers or people that can help us? Do we see missionaries or do we see volunteers that can help us? It's a brand new, uh, uh, if we just remove that inertia, it's a whole new landscape of what we can see in and for people. I, it just excites me. I've seen it. Got stories. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. The creativity and the power of the Holy Spirit through God's people uh, outmatches by an, an infinite factor what any church leader could ever think of. It's and, unbelievable. And the joy of that. And then the internal motivation that people have. And we're, then we're going from... Uh, just activation to transformation. We're going from just addition to multiplication. So what Brian and I are going to do is we're going to briefly hit these six shifts today, but then in the coming episodes, we're going to drill down on each one of these and we'll bring in a leading practitioner and thought leader, and it will get very practical. Um, and if, if you're walking through that while you're reading the book of Ephesians, if you use the made for more resource kit, um, I really believe that the Holy Spirit could do something really profoundly transformative in and through you in your context. Those Absolutely. resources are there. Uh, so what we're going to do is we walk through these uh, shifts. If you have any questions, please drop them in the chat. Uh, we're going to try to do the best we can to keep an eye on that um, and respond to those. And again, we're, we're working through the book of Ephesians. And uh, the first shift comes out of Ephesians chapter one. And the idea here is that the church is made for more. Of course, that's the name of the show. And, and the, the critical move here is uh, we need to illuminate the mystery. What's funny is most of us feel like our job as a pastor is to be the expert, to be the answer man or woman for every question. We feel this, we're in this really uh, what can feel like a burdensome social contract with our congregation where it's like, I have to be a visionary leader and I have to be an amazing communicator and I have to be a parenting expert and a political commentator. And <laughs> the list goes on and on. It's like, ah, oh. but I love what Paul, when he's describing us, those that are here to serve the church, he says that we're supposed to be stewards of the mystery. And what's that mystery? Well, mobilization starts by having the right vision for Jesus and his church. And that's what Ephesians 1 is about. You know, our foundation for mobilizing people has to be uh, us being swallowed up by the mystery of the lordship of Jesus and the power of the gospel. It's not going to be about our expertise striving more it's going to be allowing the spirit of god to illuminate our hearts to see the mystery of how immense jesus and the gospel are and when we see how big jesus is we're going to see how how big his vision is for the church and in the key passage the key verses for this first shift is uh, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. And it says this, that God has placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything, every way. And Paul's already celebrated that all authority, like every dominion, every power is under Jesus. He has all authority. He's the cosmic king. 
God has placed all things underneath his feet. How big are you if everything is under your little toe? How big are you, Jesus? And if you begin to imagine the vastness of creation, and, and we've all felt the walls closing in during times of quarantine, but if you think about all of creation being like a speck of dust in the hand of Jesus, and if we remember that Jesus is the one who took the, the chaos that was formless and void, and he ordered it, and he filled it, and he takes the, the, the chaos, and he turns it into a cosmos, his wisdom, his understanding have no limit, and all of creation is like a speck of dust in his hand. In other words, Jesus is so much bigger and better than we imagine. And see, our vision for mobilization has to begin with us saying, the image of Jesus that hangs in the hall of my heart is so small. It's so warped. Lord, I need you to bring me a, a fresh revelation through your word and through your spirit and through your people of how big you are, how immense you are. We shrink Jesus down. And, and what happens is when we do that, we offer prayers without faith. We offer worship without awe. We offer service without joy. Uh, it's, it's a tragedy. Mm. But here Paul says, Jesus is feeling everything every way. He's feeling everything every way. In other words, he's big enough to fill every need, big enough to be the solution to every problem, big enough to redeem every mistake, big enough to restore everything that's broken. And, and here's what's happening. The church then, we are called the fullness of him who fills everything every way. That tells us who we are as the church. We're the fullness of him. Have you seen us? We don't seem very full. <laughs> if you're like me, it's like, man, we feel kind of small and empty. But Jesus, that's our vision. To fill everything every way with the fullness of Jesus. We are to manifest the fullness of Jesus. So what would that even look like? See, here's our vision for mobilization. It's not, Lord, help me to fill the slots in the nursery during the third service. And I've been there. I'll admit it. Where I was like, my vision for mobilization is like, I want to fill the programs of this church. I want to fill the seats in this building. I want to fill this offering basket with offerings. Right? And what we need to do is we have to start with a vision for mobilization where we're looking at our city, our nation, our world, say, fill everything every way, Jesus. We are, your, we are meant to be the fullness that manifests your love, your joy, your peace, your shalom, like Brian said earlier. So think of it like an aquarium where everything inside of the aquarium is completely surrounded and engulfed, every object. 100% of the available surface area is saturated by water. So this shift, this first shift, is about asking God, to expand our vision for who he is, who we are as the church, and what it means to mobilize people. And in the next episode, uh, we're inviting Jeff Vanderstel. He'll be here in two weeks. It's every other week. Put this time in your calendar. We'd love for you to be a part of it. And uh, Jeff leads Saturate, which facilitates movements of gospel saturation in cities. And they have developed both kind of a wide-scale plan on how do you move towards gospel saturation in a city, but then also really simple, practical, grassroots kind of tools that an ordinary person can use to have the gospel saturate their soul, 
to learn how to have the gospel speak to their heart's deepest needs. So next week, we're going to see this grand vision, but you're also going to get to look at some very practical tools on how gospel saturation also happens at the, the smallest level. So that's the first shift. We need to illuminate the mystery. We've got to realize the church is made for more. And uh, so, Brian, let, we've got to make that shift from more effort to more Jesus. Uh, but let's jump into the next one. Let's talk about uh, shift number two. What is that one? Shift number two comes from Ephesians 2, and the theme is made to be more. And uh, in this one, the critical move is to investigate the design. What's the architecture? How does that get done? If Jesus' plan is to fill everything in every way uh, with his body, then how will we do that? And um, the illustration that comes to illustrate, what's that? Were you saying something there, Rob? Nope. Oh, sorry about that. Uh, I thought I heard. I th- thought I heard you trying to to break back in there. The image that comes to my mind here, of course, is the body. And I and and I'm not a scientist or a doctor, but I do know that my body is made up of cells. Whether it's my eye, uh, it's made up of cells, or whether it's my hands, it's made up of cells. Whether it's my organs, it's made up of cells. Feet, all the parts of the body that Paul lists uh, in the New Testament are all made up of cells. Well, what percentage of those cells do you want? filling your body. And I'm assuming that you would say 100%. I could probably use more brain cells (laughs) most of the time. Um, Instead of seeing those things die off, we need all of our cells. And if that's the case, we would ask ourselves, what number of cells do we want active in the body of Christ? Well, we would say, again, we want the, the body to be fully alive. And then the question we have to ask ourselves then, is the design that we have for the church uh, employing 100% of the cells or the people, the souls that make up that body of Christ? Or have we really only mobilized, activated, or using a very small percentage? And uh, one of the things that scares me the most about the church is just the structure as a whole. And think about this for a minute. You walk into a room, a sanctuary, a worship center, whatever you want to call it, and it's structured in a way where um, about 98% of the people in the room are facing one way and a very small percentage, 2 or 3% at, at sometimes even less than that, are facing back the other way. And what that says is that there's a there's a few of these people that are really making this happen. There's a few of these cells that really matter in the body, and they're the ones that we're going to most fully engage, and the rest of the cells just get to benefit from their efforts. And all of us would look at that design and go, that design isn't going to work. It wouldn't work in my body for only a 2 or 3% of the cells in my body to keep me alive and keep me healthy and keep me strong and keep me productive. And we've got to have that same approach when it comes to looking at the body of Christ. What does it mean for 100% of God's people, the, the cells in his, that make up his body to be activated? And we see the verse specifically right in Ephesians 2.10. It tells each one of us that we all are a masterpiece created to accomplish a unique body of good works that's one of a kind in its fulfillment. We talked earlier about, you know, just kind of 
removing the inertia and allowing the spirit of God to communicate to his people, how they fill the whole world in every way. Well, that's the mystery. Well, how is that realized? That's really shift to it. It's helping every person discover that masterpiece mission. Ephesians 2.10, we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I don't know about you, but if God's planned something for me, I don't want to miss it. Mm. Right? I don't want to be one of the 97% that missed it because I watched someone else do it. My dad's a pastor and, uh, and, a, and he was a great pastor, uh, but I didn't know anything about my masterpiece mission underneath his influence for the entire 20 something years I was under that. And I think, what have we missed when some of our finest have missed this one part, this one shift involving uh, all of God's people. Every one of us, every follower of Jesus uh, receives a sacred summons or what we call a calling or a personal calling. The challenge is we have almost exclusively limited this to pastors, missionaries, or other church leaders, worship leaders. Uh, some even would say small group uh, leaders have been kind of held for this. But I believe the word, the appropriate word for this shift and saying that personal calling only relates to those few is a tragedy because it's mm -hmm. taken the potential of the kingdom and squelched it, just seriously squelched it to be limited for a few that are represented by the structure of our rooms. And it truly is time for every follower of Jesus to pursue, to locate, and make the highest possible impact through their personal calling. Jesus has called every follower of his in a unique way that would meet every need in every community if only we had the primary strategy of helping them connect to the Spirit, ask the Spirit in the, in the appropriate ways, how have you wired me? How have you engineered this cell in your body to play the best part that it can. I don't believe God creates people unintentionally. I think he creates people with an absolute purpose, and we need to help uh, people do that. Volunteers are people that we have in our processes to accomplish our things, but I don't think we have volunteers in our church uh, for forever. I believe volunteerism in the church is a very critical role that helps people get started in becoming missionaries. One of the things I like to say the most is we don't have volunteers. All we have are missionaries in training that happen to be volunteering at this season of their formation in the process of building relationships, learning what it means to serve others instead of serving themselves, what it means to be a part of a family on mission together, and how I uniquely discover my gifts, not just through an assessment, an assessment's helpful, but does the assessment point me actually in the right direction? And volunteering is the context in which I can answer that question appropriately and get my clues for how I move further. Rob, what do you want to add to what's been said so far on this well, second shift? You know, Ephesians 1 is this shift from more effort to more Jesus, which is a vision of gospel saturation, both in our soul, but then also in our streets. We want to fill our city with the beauty, justice, the good news of Jesus. So our mobilization pathway must lead to that because yeah. that's the mandate in Ephesians 1. And then what you're saying, secondly, is volunteerism as an end is, is a dangerous thing because it might to, accidentally domesticate God's people. But volunteerism. To in the street. Yeah. To, yeah. But if it's a step in a mobilization process, 
that leads to people discovering their masterpiece mission. So the shift is basically from volunteers to masterpieces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so now we have this vision for gospel saturation. God's strategy for that is in his sovereignty, in his goodness, in his creativity, he's already distributed his people in, in your city. And, and he knows what the problems are. And he knows what the solutions are. And he's distributed that through the gifts and the talents and the calling. But our job as church leaders is how do we help people discover that? How do we equip them? How do we deploy them? Am I hearing you right? Yeah, absolutely. If you look at the we can build it, you can help approach. Um, it's basically we help disciples investigate their design through a shape assessment, or we have our own GPS assessment, which we uh, use here in Disciples Made. Uh, but we we do that so that they can find a volunteer opportunity that intersects with their God-given gifts, passions, and story. And that's a great thing. I loved it when churches started to do that. We wanted their volunteer experiences to be meaningful, powerful, where they were kind of living in their sweet spot. So that part's it's helpful, but it's not everything. Um, and and basically, they fit into the programs that we participate in, our weekend experiences, kids programs, other things like um, uh, care ministries and different things like that. It's got great stuff. Uh, but that primary place for ministry is at our buildings or the other locations or organizations that we that we partner through. And while that's good, it's still a squelched version of what it could be. If we do make the shift from we can do it, you can help to you can build it, we can help. We help equip you by investigating your unique design so that you can discover your one-of-a-kind masterpiece mission, and the ministry of the church isn't the buildings and the programs that we have. It's the whole community. It's the whole yeah. city. It's the whole state or country or world. It's it's whatever God has already wired you to be. It's every corner of culture and every sphere of society. The direction of our church is go and be instead of come and serve. Well said. And by the way, if, if you're interested in looking at that assessment, it's a free assessment. You can take it. Uh, you can share it with anybody. Uh, just go to findyourplacebook.com and you'll see a link there to take that free assessment. Uh, we've helped um, a lot of folks discover their calling by using this assessment as a standalone. It won't get you there. Uh, you do need coaching. There needs to be equipping and community, but it's a great place to start. And uh, we'll drill more into that in episode two of, uh, no, that'll be episode three, actually. Uh, that's coming up in, what, a month out. And Brian, because we're running short on time, I'm just going to start to kind of machine gun through these last four. Um, shift number three is out of Ephesians chapter three. And of course, this is where we are invited to be filled with the fullness of God. So Paul gives us this vision of the entire cosmos being filled with the fullness of Jesus. And then in Ephesians 3, he's also saying your soul needs to be filled with the fullness of Jesus. That your inner being needs to be strengthened with that power. That Christ needs to dwell in your heart. You need to be rooted and grounded in love. And the shift we're talking about here is the shift from more guilt to more love. And a lot of times as church leaders, we feel like it's our responsibility to be this professional cheerleader where we've got to somehow motivate everybody in the congregation to do the right thing. And it's like, I have to, like, I got to pump and I got to keep pumping them up and we have to come up with like a weekend series and then this strategy and a social marketing campaign. And I got to keep everyone motivated and it's exhausting. But if people can tap into the fullness of God, 
If we can help them learn how to be grounded and rooted in the love of God, how to abide in Christ, which is what Paul's talking about here in Ephesians chapter three, then they will be, they'll tap into an inexhaustible source of motivation and transformation. And so what we're talking about in this shift is we need to create um, not just this transfer of information kind of neck up, but we need to create a disciple-making culture, a disciple-making pathways, disciple-making tools that lead to heart-deep soul transformation inside of community that is both transformative and also multiplicative. In other words, normal people can be a disciple who know how to make disciples. And so we're going to do a deep dive on that episode on how do you make a disciple-making culture? How do you create disciple-making environments? What do disciple-making tools look like? Shift number four then out of Ephesians 4 is this shift from more hierarchy to more missionaries. So we get God's design for a leadership matrix for the church in Ephesians chapter 4, where it says in verses through 11 through 13, that God gave the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. We like to think of these as five voices, five leadership voices that all have to be heard. They all have to sing in harmony. When all five of them are singing in harmony, you're going to have everything you need to equip the people of God so they can reach unity in the faith and, and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. And the apostle is the one who extends and ascends and expands. The prophet is the one who questions and critiques. The evangelist is the one who invites and includes. The shepherd is the one who provides and cares. And then the teacher is the one who organizes and explains. And if you think about any human endeavor, if it's going to succeed, if it's a small business, if it's a nonprofit, if it's a church, you need all five of these voices. And God's placed these things in the order of creation. And But what we have experienced is most churches only build around one or two of those. And it's typically whatever the pastor is most passionate about. So think about it like you have all these resp- you have all these systems in your body. I think there's nine of them. What if you only have one or two of them operating? It's you know what happened? It's called death. <laughs> and so how do we get all five operating? Then shift number five. It's this shift now where Paul is giving these in real time instructions to the missionaries and how to make the most of every single opportunity, how to live wide awake rather than asleep. So this is the shift from more programs to more mission fields. So Brian, what does that mean? Well, it's kind of like what we've talked about before. Um, you, you, you don't want people to be uh, pre-programmed to a limited number of opportunities to serve. You want to create uh, an infinite opportunity for people to see their area of mission in the world and prepare them to go do it. Um, I'm thinking of the, the, the battle lines between David and Goliath or the Israelites um, and, and the Philistines. How many went out to fight Goliath? One. <laughs> One. I mean, the battlefield was clear. And what you're trying to help us do, Rob, is just to empower every person uh, on, on, who would call themselves in the, um, the family of God. Uh, to see all the challenges of society and to take after him like David went after Goliath. 
right? You will, and, and, and to, in order to do that, you can either go identify and create the mission field, establish the programs and establish the principles and establish all this, or you can release the whole army to go yeah. do that. That's what we talked yeah, about. We, Again, to, uh, sorry, I'll, I keep going back to that image um, the, of standing in your, on your platform, on your pulpit, and how you're looking out at your people. Are those people that you are responsible to coach on how to manage life? Uh, and are those people that you can rally to help, to help accomplish, accomplish the, things the things that you have been called to do? Or is that the, the lineup of your army that you can empower? Uh, not with Saul's equipment, but with the equipment from heaven Amen. to go out. And, and just fight on behalf of the, of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the, the God of our people, and to slay the enemy. That's what I base. That's how I would sum it up with the little bit of time that we have left. Yeah. And if we think about, okay, if I'm starting programs, the more programs I'm starting, the more complex it is for me to try to oversee and execute yeah. that. But yeah. if we look and see every person as a missionary who goes out and has a, a, a mosaic of mission. And suddenly those start multiplying and overlapping, then the fullness level goes up on our city because they're going to start bringing the fullness of Jesus, his love, his joy, his peace, the good news of Jesus to those places. And so uh, we're going to explore with Brian Sanders. Uh, how is it that we multiply those mosaic of mission? How do we help people discover that calling and get activated? And, and your analogy of warfare is where we need to end. Of course, Ephesians yeah. 6 is about this incredible battle that we're in with these bent demonic principalities and powers. And the call is to be strong in the Lord in the power of his might and see the shift here is from more strategy to more surrender. And how is it that we surrender more to the Lordship of Jesus and engage the principalities and powers in the power of God? We live in a world at war with hostile, demonic evil. And those principalities and powers, they kind of take on a head of steam and they create systems of oppression that take hold in a human heart or in a system like systematic racism, or it can even happen inside of a church. How is it that we identify kind of where the principalities and powers have taken hold in us, in our church, in our city? And how do we begin to fight that through extraordinary prayer and fasting? How do we begin to see, um, take away the stigma on things like deliverance, inner healing, supernatural? How do we become naturally supernatural without becoming weird and staying grounded and orthodox and learn how to fight in the power of God? So we're going to do a, a deeper dive into spiritual warfare, and uh, we we'll hope you'll join us for that. And we're coming up to the end of our hour. We got a minute left. A few things I want to highlight. I put a link in the chat and it's uh, a web page. that has got kind of the compendium. It's got the directory of all the made for more resources. So there's uh, short summary videos on every single one of the shifts. There's articles in every single one of the shifts. Uh, it's a great place to go next. Also, next week, we're talking about the first shift from more effort to more Jesus. It's about gospel saturation. Jeff Vanderstelt will be here in two weeks. Same bat time, same bat channel. If you have any questions that you'd like for us to specifically address, you can send them to brian at disciplesmade.com. 
or rob at caseyunderground.org. We'll put those, uh, um, can you put those in the chat for us, Brooks? Uh, we'd love to have your questions incorporated in our time with Jeff. And we want to say thank you for being here today. Uh, if this was of value to you, uh, go ahead and post on it on Facebook, social media, invite others. Again, we hope you add us to your queue um, and join us for the whole journey this year. We hope it's more than just a transfer of information. We hope that God will build a community uh, that together over the next four months, uh, we'll see God do some things that we can tell stories about a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. Um, Brian, anything that you'd like to add in closing? One thing that I would add is, you know, I'm more like the people that are listening to this webinar than the people like you, Rob, that are talking on it. And um, you're one of those bright, really sharp people. And I'm one of those people that I've always listened and learned from you. 10 years ago, I had my my own COVID crisis moment where um, Jesus basically said, the tools that you've been using all this time, you can't use anymore. You need to do something different. And I went looking for things like this, like several might be doing on this call with us uh, right now. And it was overwhelming. It was overwhelming to me. I hear six shifts like this. I hear such paradigm differences than what I was actually trained to do. I sunk lots of money and lots of time and made huge sacrifices to get the education that I currently have to do the things that you're currently telling me have limited potential for the kingdom of God. And I need to, to change and to think differently. And, and what you said there in that number six, the surrender piece I just yeah. want to share a, a, a two seconds more or t- 20 seconds more of, of an encouragement to you. When God overwhelmed me 11 years ago uh, with something like this, uh, personally, my response to him wasn't, okay, I'm going to work harder. Mm-hmm. It was, I don't know how to do that. And I'm inadequate for that task, but I am available to you. I surrender to your leadership on a daily basis right now. I can't take all that in, but I can take in the next step that you have for me. And I absolutely relentlessly commit to surrender and I will do that next step and I will do it relentlessly and I will do it like it's the only path forward. And I will pay attention to what you are doing and what you do through me, and I will share it with others. So if anybody's on this call is feeling overwhelmed, you've got a guy on the journey here with you who's the student. Rob's the teacher. I'm more the student. Uh, and, um, and just to say, you're not going to accomplish all this in six weeks. You're not going to accomplish all this in two months, but you can begin to accomplish this thing with regular steps of obedience. And we do want to be here and help you and support you in that process. We're for you. We believe the kingdom of God is the hope of the world that's expressed powerfully through the local church. And we are champions for you. We love you. And we appreciate you being on this call with us today. We do. Well, grace and peace. And we look forward to uh, getting your emails. Look forward to seeing you in uh, two weeks for our conversation with Jeff Vanderstelt. And may the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you. Amen.